Hey guys, well, we just got off uh, an amazing uh, conversation with V. Simland. He's a, he's a best-selling author. He's been, you know, on a massive podcast tours, just sharing his message of adaptation and being a really resilient human uh, with us today on the on the call. Yeah, I mean, he spoke to a lot of things that are very simple and yet really profound. And it was such a great reminder of our innate potential as humans. And because he has an anthropology background, he really gives us insight into our ability and how we are meant to live these lives where we can adapt to our environment and not be victims to it. So it's a really good conversation. Yeah, you know, I think especially in the world that we're in right now, we, we keep getting messages that, that we're not enough, you know, that there's a one size fits all for everybody. And, and, and really what is encouraging is individuality, like know yourself. I mean, these are things that we talk about all the time. And it's it's so important to keep hearing this message of, of hope and support and how to take care of things and take responsibility. Mm -hmm. So listen to the end, his answer to my last question was really beautiful and um, enjoy it. It's a really good conversation. Enjoy. Welcome to the Health Ignited podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back to Health Ignited, another podcast with my lovely wife. Uh, it's funny, the last few podcasts we haven't been on together. It's been, mm -hmm. our schedules have gotten a little crazy. Summer tends to do that a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, now we're coming back from a vacation too, so we're still trying to find our groove yeah. back into work. That's right. So we've got an amazing uh, guest on today. I've heard Sim on uh, a number of different podcasts. Uh, he's written incredible books on all sorts of different aspects of autophagy, minerals, stress adaptation, immunity. We're getting we're going to get into some really great conversations. I mean, he's a well-known uh, biohacker. He's he's presenting this kind of information all over the world and leading seminars. And, and I mean, it's just really incredible to see how much reach uh, this gentleman is. is uh, is creating in the world and, and how much he's educating the people that are following him. So, Sim, thank you so much for being on the show today with us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me and uh, glad to be here. Yeah, definitely. So we we want to talk a little bit about some of the content in your books and uh, and and but basically, I what I really wanted to kind of pick your brain on is I love that you've got a background in anthropology. And I think that, that that brings in a really interesting, I guess, perspective, especially in the world that we're in right now, because, you know, things seem a little crazy. It's a little hairy out there. And, you know, sometimes we need that sort of longer perspective of, you know, what's gone on for millennia and and, and how are we going to move through this, you know, little blip in in the world that we're in right now. And, and so I'd love to hear like an anthropological, you know, uh, a man from Estonia perspective on a different side of the pond than, than us. I'd love to hear that. Mm. <clears throat> yeah well um yeah it depends on like what the aspect of anthropology because anthropology itself is uh like uh, many things <laughs> and involves almost everything uh, related to humans yeah uh, culture yeah. and the physiology and uh, society etc but uh, from a i don't know like a purely historical perspective i can say that uh, you know these kinds of events and uh, these kinds of you know quote-unquote disasters um those things are pretty uh, actually normal in uh, history they happen all the time 
and uh, just almost like um, it's almost like the guaranteed to happen. It's just like a matter of when. And uh, in the modern society, like most people don't really have like this kind of um, we're kind of in distance from um, a lot of these uh, adversities. And uh, it may also just because of that appear to be uh, more serious and more um, dangerous than it actually is. Um, let's say compared to the like past pandemics, then this one um, isn't like uh, nearly as deadly, uh, although it has caused maybe like more economical damage. So to say, so it's almost like the uh, <laughs> the the response to the uh, event uh, has been like more damaging than the uh, actual event. So to say, at least like from an economical perspective. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 <laughs> it's something that we have, have as a society have to kind of uh, adjust to, and as individuals, we also have to kind of remember that yeah, like these kinds of things uh, they're happening uh, all the time, and we can't really do much about preventing them, but we can do a lot about in terms of um, you know preparing ourselves in advance. Like we can take care of our health, we can uh, take care of our uh, like just skills skill set in terms of preparedness. Uh, and mentally also becoming uh, prepared so that we would have like at least a bit of uh, like a buffer zone and uh, more of like this advantage when these things uh, do uh, happen instead of like being uh, completely like surprised. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of where I wanted the conversation to open up to because everything that you share, everything that we share on this podcast and beyond too is, is really about building, building resiliency. I like to call it resiliency medicine and really diving into the, the core physiology of what's been there for millennia. You know, we've gone through all sorts of different uh, environmental challenges, you know, temperature changes that we've, you know, we've always been able to adapt to. And, and our modern comforts have really <laughs> created almost like a, a sort of imagining sort of like a, a, a padded room where like nothing you can't get hurt anywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm curious to hear um, when in your work did you decide that okay it's time to teach about optimizing your body and creating this adaptation and all the things that you're teaching on whether it's fasting and um, you know just adapting to stress like when in your studies all of a sudden were you like okay this is how I'm going to communicate to mankind that we do have this innate potential within us. Mm -hmm. uh, well I've always been uh, interested about it like um after like my own personal interest uh, started when I was um, in the military after high school and there we were, we were like you know in the cold and in the rain and uh, swamp and that's that sort of thing uh, all the time so that was just you know because I and when I was doing it like I was uh, teaching myself uh, kind of subconsciously how to deal with it psychologically like different kinds of mindfulness techniques and uh, different kinds of like narr narrations in my head uh, to <laughs> kind of cope with the situations so that was when I was like okay this is kind of uh, you know important and uh, it's also like uh, powerful strategies that I can use in my everyday life that's when I personally got more interested in that and that's where I you know delved into um, biohacking uh, like intermittent fasting um, cold exposure saunas heat exposure exercise um, breath holds or these kinds of uh, things that do cause like a small amount of stress but uh, as you adapt to them then you can become uh, more resilient over time which is uh, the process of uh, hormesis this uh, biological uh, phenomenon and um, I've always like you know talked about these topics in my work, but uh, last year when uh, the you know kind of pandemic uh, started to uh, take over, uh, I also also kind of um, you know decided okay I have like planned to write a book about the similar topic, and now is like the perfect time to do it. So that's like maybe in uh, March or something uh, last year I decided to okay I'm gonna have to uh, write a book about as well uh, hormesis and uh, becoming a more uh, resilient. 
Yeah, I love that. I'm curious in the, in that time in the military, were you like sharing ideas with like your mates or like, was this sort of just all an internal process that you were sort of self-teaching? <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal just to hear that story. Hmm. Uh, well, I think, uh, yeah, like I, I did, uh, you know, uh, there, there were some people who dealt worse, worse with it. Like they uh, couldn't handle it that well. Uh, like they physically still uh, were able to do it, but they uh, maybe didn't have like the mindset about it that, uh, hey, this is actually beneficial. So they're like, they were, you know, tough guys and they were getting it uh, done, but they were like whining in the process, so to say, like they were having like, you know, this uh, negative, uh, negative uh, viewpoint on that. But for me, yeah, personally, like I didn't, you know, like all the things that we did, uh, but uh, we at least I was um, appreciative of the experience and I knew that uh, it can have like a positive impact in the future in other things that I do. So I didn't, you know, there was always like with, with between my, um, let's say my closer squad, uh, we were just, you know, con conversing all the time about these things. Uh, and like, I just maybe tried to uh, convey them the ideas a bit better as well. Uh, did it work? Maybe it did a little bit for some, uh, <laughs> maybe, but definitely not for everyone. But yeah, you know, physically like the human body can endure. Uh, it's just uh, like the, actually like the psychology is, uh, the one that like is the uh like the bottleneck in a lot of cases mm -hmm. yeah i love that I mean, I mean i think it's such a, an important message for for you know any time that we're in a stressful situation whether it be you know challenges with work or with kids i mean we're, we're in the middle of inviting a new uh, pet into our family and sonia is having some you know interesting experiences with uh what that what is that going to look like and uh, we're, we're getting a dog by the way and uh, it's, it's a new thing to our family. But, you know, this, this is something that we often talk about, you know, when life is upon you, the circumstances there, uh, you know, how are we going to face it? What kind of mindset and perspective are we going to hold when, when that you know, crisis comes about? And, and I think, you know, in fear, like most people, um, I don't think that we've maybe engaged that inner dialogue enough to go, wait a second, what am I actually afraid of? Uh, or how can I show up differently into this stress? Um, so, you know, I'd yeah, I'd love to hear some more thoughts on that. Like, so, you know, you were in these uncomfortable circumstances, you know, training for, for, for you know, different military excursions, et cetera. You also have this really amazing, interesting background of anthrop anthropology and sort of seeing these longer cycles and sort of integrating all these things together into Sonia's question of like, now seems to be the time that you want to start sharing because it's you realize that this is something that maybe you had been expressing internally and and recognize that maybe not everyone holds that same perspective and so it was it was almost sounds like a duty upon yourself to share with the world uh, that's a great story right right well yeah like um because uh you know um you can be like the um like yeah i i consider myself being like very um independent and resourceful and uh you know, uh, I can handle a lot of things, but uh, that doesn't really, uh, you know, what, what's what's the worth of it if like uh, everyone else around you isn't able to do it, so to say. So like as a society, as a country, as a as a nation, or as a culture, you need to have, you know, some of these um, beliefs in the culture themselves, so to say, like some certain set of beliefs that uh, the every, every person would uh, adopt, so to say. So because then, uh, you know, the entire society becomes better. And even like in the example of the pandemic, like, if uh, more people were to take care of the health uh, before the uh, situation, then, you know, a lot of uh, lives would have been saved and, uh, you know, a lot of, let's say, uh, like the transmission rate would also be lower because of there is like research that uh, obese people or overweight people, they uh, carry the virus um, a lot longer 
and uh, they shit it uh, more, so to say. So yeah, like it's not only like for uh, selfish uh, pursuits and uh, your own personal gain, but it's also for uh, yeah, like everyone else around you as well to be, uh, you know, uh, more uh, resilient and more independent uh, yourself. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. So what does every day look like for you then? Do you have daily habits um, in teaching others too that they can incorporate into their lives to create that adaptability? Or do you have like seasonal things that you do? Like just what are some like hacks or habits that you could share with our audience? Yeah, uh, well, um, I do um, some things I do like uh, all the time yearly. Uh, some, some other things I do uh, less often. So for example, during the summer, well, one thing that I do all the time is uh, this intermittent fasting or uh, time sheet eating uh, that mm -hmm. basically I eat uh, on most days. I actually eat uh, just uh, once a day uh, on some days I'll eat twice a day. Um, but yeah, like uh, any any form of this uh, time restricted eating uh, where you um, narrow the eating window can be like a pretty positive uh, stressor to the body and uh, helps with uh, a lot of like metabolic health. It increases your, let's say, let's say resiliency against uh, hunger levels. And also, like, makes you less, uh, you know, <laughs> dependent of uh, food intake and uh, less, uh, you're less controlled by your cravings and uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I personally find it pretty useful for like both physical uh, benefits and the psychological benefits. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that in a, in a society where like food is abundant, mm -hmm. there's like these opportunities to eat all the time. Uh, it's um, very easy to, uh, yeah, overconsume calories. And with this uh, small strategy, you're uh, like eliminating a lot of these potential uh, situations where you could, you know, eat. <laughs> so it's actually gives you more freedom and uh, gives you uh, more like agency because you're like less, uh, you know, controlled uh, by these <laughs> cravings uh, that you may get all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's 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 a powerful one. I mean, Sonia and I have been adopting that one for a number of years as well, and. Um, I can't imagine doing life without it really. I mean, mm. I mean, it's, there's days where definitely we'll, we'll bring in some breakfast, but it's, it's rare. Uh, I was just checking out your Instagram feed and you had this great little infograph showing the red zone and the green zones for, for, you know, what was happening in these different phases through the day. And, you know, just having that awareness for, for people to, to just know that there's optimal hormonal secretions that are happening sometimes in the morning and sometimes at nighttime. And having that interference with food is a, is a real you know problem for people. And, and yet we keep doing the same thing, right? Can you maybe give us an anthropology perspective on that? Just like with human history and how important um, this way of eating really is. Right. Yeah. Well, I think like the um, Paleolithic, uh, narrative is that uh, the uh, caveman uh, was always you know uh, skipping breakfast and maybe eating only once a day all the time um, and some days they also definitely didn't eat anything for maybe like a few days in a row but I, I think in, in reality like it was uh, it, there wasn't like this uh, specific uh, schedule that they followed like um, they ate yeah. you know whenever they can and um, you know sometimes they probably ate three meals a day sometimes they ate once a day sometimes they didn't eat anything for two to three days um, I don't think that they probably didn't go any longer than like five days at max. Uh, so yeah, there was the actual, the actual like the um, actual interpretive fasting schedule. Or the human body has evolved these like this uh, chaotic randomness, so that there is mm -hmm. very like uh, random meal times all the time and uh, random random amounts of food, different kinds of uh, macronutrient ratios, different kinds of foods uh, depending on the season. So yeah, like it's actually the highly high high variety and diversity is actually one of the um, I don't know, like the biggest uh, characteristic of the uh, like nutrition that humans ate in the past. And uh, yeah, like uh, 
with the modern modern uh, in the modern uh, let's say um, era people doing this internal fasting then they have actually like a very um, like a rigid <laughs> schedule that they they wait exactly exactly until 12 in the morning uh, before they break the fast and they stop eating exactly at 8 p.m or something like that so uh, you know actually from like a adaptability perspective it's actually it would be better to have like more variety so to say yeah. uh, create like this randomness and the chaos in there uh, but from a, like a circadian rhythm and health perspective then this meal timing is um, actually like a pretty good thing because um, like you said your body has these different rhythms and hormonal secretions and if you start to eat you know at specific times then your body would uh, you know prepare for that as well like at least your like your hunger hunger levels would adapt so you would start to get hungry around those specific times and your body will also like preemptively start to maybe produce uh, certain hormones like insulin uh, or uh, or glucagon etc around specific times so from a health perspective it's actually is a good idea to have like this uh, stable and uh, consistent uh, meal times but from a like a um, survival or uh, adaptability perspective it is a good idea to uh, have like uh, some variety and uh, change it up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you mentioned intermittent fasting is one of those those hacks that you implement what are some other daily weekly things that you throw into your to your schedule yeah, I think like exercise itself is also um, like a pretty um, almost mandatory thing everyone should do in some shape or form. Um, I do um, some form of like physical activity basically every day, uh, whether that be uh, lifting weights, calisthenics, uh, cardio, or uh, some just longer walks, hiking, uh, that kind of thing. Um, so I'll do with something that is like physically, you know, at least gets my heart rate a little bit elevated uh, every day. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, other things I do uh, would be uh, also the sauna, so uh, hyperthermic conditioning. That's uh, also been found to have like a lot of health benefits, uh, cardiovascular benefits, uh, as well as like uh, heat tolerance. So you're able to tolerate heat, as well as like exercise. Uh, like you're you're able to tolerate higher intensity of exercise uh, because your body temperature also uh, elevates uh, when you're exercising. So uh, that's like also a good thing for uh, both health and uh, fitness. Yeah, and well, I, I'm glad you said that because I don't think people really, you know, tie those two together. It is a hyperthermic event uh, when you're exercising, especially if you're mm-hmm. not just sitting around like doing a wrap and then, you know, yeah. in an actual kind of way. Yeah. Keep going. Hmm. Yeah. Like the plus, you know, the cold is uh, another thing, the opposite of the uh, heat. Uh, so cold uh, has maybe like it does have like a lot of uh, immune immune system benefits, also lowers inflammation. It's great for that. Lowers um lowers this uh, arthritis pain and uh, kind of inju- helps with injuries um but it, like it can also be like more a bit more like dangerous than the heat like um you can have such so you can definitely like have a more negative effect on the thyroid or the stress response uh, by overdoing it but yeah i do i do some uh, colds as well not every day because you like uh, the cold can also be um bad for uh, muscle growth and uh, strength gains because if you like you know, some of the inflammation and some of the stress that you get from exercise is actually good and you need, need, to, need to have that. Whereas the cold, I kind of shut it down. So I'll usually do the cold um, maybe uh, maybe like uh, three or two times a week, uh, whereas I exercise every day and intermittent fast every day. And the sauna also maybe not every day, but maybe four to five times a week at least. Mm-hmm. Can you define the cold a little bit? Are you speaking to more of like a cold plunge and like staying in there for as long as you can or ending your shower for like 30 seconds with colds? Like, is there different ways to incorporate that? Yeah, like the e- easiest thing to do is just like a cold shower. Um, mm-hmm. 30 seconds, one minute or something that you do get a pretty a good uh, response of lamp. Uh, if, if you start, start to shiver, 
then that's already like a pretty powerful um, response for like increases uh, energy, energy expenditure, activates this uh, brown fat that is good for uh, thermoregulation and insulin sensitivity, and also like helps with uh, immunity and inflammation. Uh, but then there's of course like yeah, the cold plunge into like a more uh, colder uh, water, and um, like it subjectively feels like. Well, at least like the cold plunge is like hard only when you get in it, uh, like the initial plunge is the difficult part. And uh, mm -hmm. after that, you can actually start to enjoy it because you're going to get used to the cold. So you can stay it, you can stay in there for almost like, you know, several minutes in a row. Whereas the cold shower, then the cold shower is always almost like uh, cold and painful because like the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the stimulus is always uh, new in some sense. Um, so I think like, I do like the both um, for different reasons, but uh, the cold plunge, um, yeah, also is... Uh, Usually you would do the cold plunge a bit longer, maybe like uh, two to three minutes. In 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 a lot of the studies, uh, they do it for like ten to fifteen minutes in pretty cold water, like uh, fifteen degrees uh, Celsius or ten degrees Celsius, which is pretty cold. Uh, but uh, yeah, like you don't need to go uh, that super cold to get those benefits. Obviously, if you go like uh, ice freezing, uh, like winter swimming, you would get more benefits. But again, like you can also have like more negative side effects if you do that. Mm -hmm. Any any differences have you noticed for for men or women? I mean, I know this is a question you ask a lot, Tanya. Mm -hmm. um, well, um, there's definitely um, the potential of uh, women uh, experiencing more of the negative side effects uh, faster or more easily, like uh, low thyroid and uh, stress. Uh, from that, uh, they can propagate it more easily. Um, not specific, not specifically, uh, you know. Uh, there's most of the studies aren't uh, gender specific, so to say, like they're done on a, like, like a mixed, uh, mixed group of mm -hmm. people probably. Um, so like, you know, the benefits in, in benefits themselves are pretty um, universal, like the uh, inflammation will lower. Um, you would also get like this um, cognitive boost, uh, like, you know, maybe like w women who are uh, more prone to uh, arthritis, uh, then uh, they may actually, actually benefit more from like a more frequent exposure to cold, at least like a uh, postmenopausal women, uh, because of that, that's when usually the arthritis uh, starts to kick in uh, faster. Um, but yeah, generally, um, yeah, both can uh, do it. Just uh, kind of the, maybe the amounts, like the women probably have to be more careful with uh, how often they do it and uh, how like intense. Yeah. I mean, I love the stuff that you're sharing because I mean, these are such important, relatively simple things for people to implement. I mean, sometimes people think of like the word biohacking and just categorize as something, it's something I can't ever access. And biohacking, I think is just sort of like, and it's, it's a really interesting way to describe it, but really this is just a way to sort of merge back into how we used to, to operate in the world. Like we've mm -hmm. got this abundance of caloric intake, like, like you mentioned, you know, in the past that wasn't the case. And so how do we sort of merge our lifestyle practices into those kind of scenarios? How do we get more temperature uh, variation exposure? These are, these are things I think that we have to reacclimatize to in this modern world to be more resilient. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, you know, what, what do you think? I mean, you wrote this uh, a great book on uh, minerals and, you know, we, a lot of people get really nutrient depleted, you know, for many different reasons. Um, what do you see as some of those, like, I mean, there's so many amazing minerals, but what do you, what do you see as some of the more common things that people get deficient, maybe as a result of our modern lifestyle, uh, maybe, you know, through medication or soil depletion or what have you, but what are some of those like key things that maybe people need to, you know, first start paying attention to? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I think, um, with the minerals is that yeah the um, minerals are important they're uh, fundamental 
to like almost every process in the body and uh, mineral deficiencies themselves are also pretty uh, common. Like uh, one in one in three person has like some sort of a mineral deficiency or at least like, and they're not getting the optimal amounts. And there are also like up to 10 of them that can be, it can be magnesium, boron, manganese, uh, potassium, uh, zinc, iron, um, and a bunch of other things, uh, chromium. So um, yeah, like every person has like a different, <laughs> maybe different uh, mineral that they're not getting uh, optimal amounts of. Um, th that mineral, what it, what it actually is, um, can also be traced down to like the symptoms. If you have like uh, insulin resistance or diabetes, then chromium has been found to be very effective uh, against that, um, as well as like magnesium. Just, you know, magnesium is something that like most people are you know, pretty low in, or at least it's hard, it's much harder to get it uh, than other uh, minerals because of, yeah, like soil, soil erosion and uh, like most of the magnesium rich foods, uh, most people aren't eating, like uh, people aren't eating like pumpkin seeds and spinach and salmon in that uh, large amounts. And even if they are, then yeah, like the actual amounts in those foods are also pretty uh, low. So uh, mm -hmm. I do uh, think like a regular magnesium supplement, at least like every once in a while is a pretty you know, safe thing and uh, easy thing to do as well to cover at least uh, this one, mm, blood pressure issues, uh, potassium for sure. Uh, then uh, immunity related issues uh, or um, let's say low testosterone, that can be zinc as well as a boron or like, for example, like low vitamin D can also be a boron because um, boron helps with uh, like almost the, like vitamin D utilization as mm. well as a testosterone um, production. So yeah, <laughs> I think that's like, you can, like, it's not that hard to cover all the um, vitamins and minerals, uh, but you do need to pay like a, a bit of um, attention to that. Like if you implement a bit of like liver, maybe like mm -hmm. an ounce of liver a day, then you can cover basically almost all the uh, daily needs of all, like a lot of minerals with the exception of maybe, um, with the exception of like mag magnesium and maybe like chromium or boron, Bor boron as well, boron you get, uh, almost only, only from uh, like these uh, plant foods, like uh, legumes and uh, prunes. Mm -hmm. how, how much of like the, the mineral depletion do you think would show up with someone sticking to just one diet? I mean, we talk a lot about diet variation, but like, let's say there's a lot, a lot of vegans out there, maybe listening or vegetarians only, or maybe carnivores. Like what are some of the maybe typical nutrient depletions that you might see in, and when, when people are sticking to just one type of food? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, like I said, like the boron is something uh, found almost exclusively in plants. So uh, like a very uh, carnivorous uh, dieter may be low in boron. And uh, a lot of the uh, carnivore, carn carnivore uh, people, they do recommend uh, boron as a supplement. Uh, you do get like boron from maybe like bones a little bit, but then you would have to like grind up the bones and eat them or uh, do like this bone meal type of thing, uh, which most people aren't probably. <laughs> so um, yeah, boron is for uh, like a lower carb carnivores, potassium also maybe um, on uh, on keto, like potassium can be an issue uh, as well as on uh, like a real strict carnivore because yeah, you do get a bit of potassium from meat, but the meat would have to be like fresh. So um, the cooking kind of degrades it. Um, so yeah, with the plant-based uh, side, you're uh, very pretty low in zinc uh, because of, the foods, uh, zinc foods are almost all animal-based and uh, the the phytates and like the uh, fiber itself also binds to uh, zinc. So that can be, you know, a problem, uh, like a double whammy of <laughs> not getting enough and also excreting it more, uh, plus iron. So um, 
like the actual, you know, bioactive or more bioavailable iron, heme iron is only in uh, animal foods. And again, like the plants, plants, uh, phytates, uh, phytonutrients also bind to iron, which can be a good thing for like a carnivore. <laughs> so like if you're eating a high muscle meat diet, then you're getting too much iron, which can be bad for like, you know, liver damage and heart disease. So you do, you don't want to get too much iron. And uh, the only thing that like binds to iron is like the plant foods, like coffee or um, like fiber, <laughs> like both would need, like both would need to be like a more like semi-balanced diet. It's just that uh, they are different um, kind of things uh, that they need to pay attention to. And with the plants, um, chromium, chromium is also um, harder to get from plants. Uh, you get uh, chromium from uh, mussels and oysters, um, but also in like small amounts in broccoli and oatmeal. But uh, the problem with chromium is also that it's uh, only like 1% of it uh, is absorbed from dietary sources. So um, <laughs> even though you may be getting like the uh, RDA on paper uh, from food, the the 1% of that is going to end up absorbing, absorbed. So you would need to get like a ton uh, more. I'm happy about those numbers then because often we hear sometimes from patients that, you know, I just, I don't want to supplement. I just want to do everything through my diet. And we're really trying to educate people that we're not living in that world that where we can do that anymore because mm. of all the reasons that you were speaking to before with the, the change in the soil, the stresses that we have to deal with and toxicity, toxicity yeah. and all the, the various things. So it's so mm -hmm. important for people to understand that we're not receiving the nutrients that we could be and supplementation is so important. So it is important to look at your unique diet and your unique body and your hormonal system where you are in your life so you can see okay what supplements are going to really support me yeah i mean it's something we do in our in our clinic often too is we'll run you know significant you know mineral vitamin fatty acid panels to to find out i mean how could you really know you know your absorptive capacity your microbiome you know your digestive lining there's so many different variables you know to the nutrients that you're consuming all of these things are going to play an important role um and, and how you're you know attaining those those ideal levels so our rdas really are i don't even know how they actually calculate them based on you know looking at a general population it's it's a bit it's a really it's a guess you know especially mm -hmm. in uh, you know north so like vitamin d is a great example in our northern sort of climate here in canada you guys up in estonia i mean we're going to need more vitamin d than than what the rda is recommending so you know i think to the point of um you know looking at you know, we can do all these amazing things for a diet. And, and Sonia and I really, you know, pride ourselves in eating really well, as, as do you. And it's not going to be perfect. It, it never can be. And I think people need to realize that. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, I, I agree completely that um, there's a big difference between like what's optimal and uh, what's the RDA and what's the like adequate minimal intake, so to say, like uh, the RDAs themselves are a bit higher than the adequate intake that uh, prevents like uh, complete, uh, you know, death. Um, but uh, yeah, like the optimal in optimal amount itself is actually sometimes in a lot of cases can be substantially higher than um, the RDA. So like say, for example, um, magnesium, then um, like the adequate intake for magnesium is 140 milligrams a day. And the RDA is like 400, 420. And, but, you know, most people may need like 500 usually, or if they're like super depleted or if they're like insulin resistant, then maybe like 600, even like 800 if they're like chronically depleted of it. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, like there's a big uh, difference between like, you know, the bare essentials and uh, what's actually like thriving. 
Yeah. And this is, you know, we're, we're seeing this in, you know, obviously more so over this past year that we're always trying to look at, here's a one size fits all treatment for everybody. And that's, that's never going to work. We're all too unique in how we express our health or illness. And um, I think that's, you know, it's important to have conversations like this to, to really remind people that we have to take, you know, our individual approach and we have to take action on that. Um, One thing that, that, that you, you know, you bring up in, in what you share is, is that a lot of these, you know, minerals are going to work together. They're going to, some are going to support binding of others. Um, something that's, that is seem, seemingly common for, again, maybe more so women is just this iron deficiency. Like, what mm. do you see is going on? Like, you know, we live in a very iron rich world. Like why, why are so many people iron depleted outside of like maybe extremely heavy flow for women? But, um, you know, mm. why do you think it's so common? Yeah, like the, there is iron in other places, I think I don't think like most people are deficient in iron because yeah, you get it from meat, you get it from also the the refined the fortified uh, foods, grains and uh, things. So yeah, like the iron itself um, needs also like copper for uh, for uh, like many things. Like it needs uh, copper for iron absorption, as well as hemoglobin transportation and uh, red blood cell formation. So uh, yeah, like copper is actually a lot of the cases it's needed, or like the people are actually needing more copper. Uh, to help with their iron and anemia. So it's actually been known since like the 19th century. So like uh, people who worked in like these copper uh, factories, they had like, you know, glowing skin and uh, they didn't have like any symptoms of the anemia, whereas, you know, other people tended to have it. So uh, yeah, like it's actually been known for a long time, but it's observed that uh, copper helps with uh, iron deficiency anemia. And uh, yeah, I think that because the excess iron can have like a ton of, you know, bad health effects. So you, you know, most likely aren't actually needing more iron. You actually need more of this uh, copper that helps with the utilization of the iron. So you get copper from uh, all these uh, organ meats, uh, liver, as well as uh, like dark chocolate, oysters, and uh, those kinds of things. Yeah, was another um, like an Ayurvedic Indian practice is to um, put water in these copper pots overnight and drinking mm. that water during the day and making it more of like a daily practice to be able to absorb a lot of those minerals and increase that copper level. And I'm really glad that you brought copper up because I think a lot of people don't also understand the link between copper deficiency and um, hormone deficiency and that estrogen, for example, for women is very much dependent on copper. So mm. it's so important. These minerals play so many roles in our body. Body and we're not really even aware that the tiniest like amount like one milligram of copper is going to do so much for our yeah. system so a word that you brought up in the beginning um, i think is important to define for our audience is hormesis and you know that that aspect of stress and adaptability and adversity i'd love for you to just define what hormesis is and why it's so important for us to change our relationship um, with stress yeah the hormesis um is like this dose-specific uh, response to a stressor or a toxin that um, in moderation is great. It actually strengthens the body, but in excess, it's still uh, harmful. So like exercise, uh, and it's also like uh, in some, there are different kind of <laughs> shapes for hormesis. Some of them are only good in moderate amounts. Some of them are also good in low amounts, uh, where some are bad if you get in low amounts and in excess, so like exercise. If you're sedentary, you're not experiencing any stress from physical activity, then that, that is also like bad because you're increasing your risk of you know uh, all these diseases and being sedentary. Whereas excess exercise can also be bad because of overtraining and injuries. So the optimal amount is you know somewhere in the middle, like in moderate moderate exercise. Uh, some other examples would be maybe 
like uh, coffee uh, in, in small amounts, it's great. In moderate amounts, it's also great. In excess can also be bad. Although in sauna, in small amounts, great. Um, in moderation, great. In excess, uh, bad. So different kinds of uh, stressors. Uh, so the idea is that, um, yeah, like the body uh, responds to that kind of physiological stressor by boosting a lot of its, uh, you know, immune system and the different kinds of this defense uh, mechanisms. Uh, a lot of these antioxidant defense systems like glutathione, uh, superoxidismutase, uh, catalase, all those things, uh, they are actually like uh, stress response uh, systems. So uh, your body just tries to deal with the stress and uh, in so doing, you know, it's like this, uh, like a side effect of dealing with the stress that you're just also improving your health at the same time. And uh, you also like uh, prepare yourself for future uh, events of the similar kind. So that's kind of the entire... Um, process of uh, building muscle as well as strength itself uh, also is derived or based upon that you're um, you know experiencing the stress your body deals with it or even not able to deal with it but it does uh, super compensate for that so that you uh, build muscle and strength and you can be able to um, tolerate a greater load uh, in the in the future mm -hmm. yeah you talk a lot about um uh, using fasting together with exercise. I mean, it's something we definitely talk about a lot too. Um, what are, you know, what are some of the common, uh, you, you, I know, so you like to bust a lot of the myths, like, oh, if I lift weights, I'm going to put on all this excess, you know, growth. And I just, I can't do that to my body. So I'm just going to stay sedentary. What are some of those myths that you, that you see people kind of, you know, speaking to or complaining about and, and not really taking action? And how do we sort of quell some of that discussion? Mm. Right. Uh, well, when it comes to the weight of thing um, and building muscle is that um, like, you know, most people uh, or like you have to be like uh, super dedicated to become like massive uh, or you would have to take like anabolic steroids. Uh, most people aren't willing to do either of them. So just, you know, going to the gym uh, even like two times, three times a week and doing some sort of resistance training is not going to make you like look like a bodybuilder. The only thing that is going to happen is that your bone density improves, your uh, strength improves, uh, you lose a bit of uh, fat, you increase the lean muscle tissue, so you look uh, better, uh, your insulin sensitivity improves, metabolic flexibility improves, um, so yeah, like everything <laughs> would get better, so to say. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, th I think that's th there's this, this misconception or um, misassociation um, between like these bodybuilders who take steroids and get heart disease with uh, this uh, regular person who just uh, goes to the gym. Um, Another thing uh, would be with, re with regards to um, like the meal timing that uh, you need to have like snacks all the time to keep your metabolic rate up. Mm. So uh, there's no actual, there's no actual like uh, science to even prove that, that the higher eating frequency would, would increase your metabolic rate because the amount, the amount of like uh, calories you burn for any kind of digestion depends on the total calories of that meal. So uh, if you eat, you know, six meals, small meals, small meals a day, then the amount of calories in those individual meals is sm smaller, uh, so you would still burn the same amount of calories if you ate the same, you know, same ate the same amount of calories as well in like one massive meal or two meals. It's just mm -hmm. that the the amount of calories per burned per those uh, meals, one or two meals, is uh, greater, or is is the same as the uh, amount of calories burned from uh, these uh, six meals. <laughs> so there's no like uh, any like reason to think that a higher eating frequency would be beneficial. Like sometimes, yeah, people overdo it if they um, do a, uh, too much fasting then they may get like a lower thyroid function and too much stress and um, that can be a problem but uh, in most cases there's not another like a real uh, problem with that mm -hmm. okay. yeah um, 
you know, one thing or one feedback that we get from a lot of people is that there's so much information out there and that there's so much, you know, especially biohacking is just like it's a popular term now and they're trying to incorporate this into their life. If you could give our audience, you know, your top three tips that they can incorporate or the top three things that you want them to be aware of so that they can like, after listening to this, start incorporating that into their life. Mm -hmm. I think, um, yeah, like I think uh, the one that I mentioned that uh, do some sort of like physical activity every day, uh, like almost like sweat a little bit every day. So that can be like a sauna, that can be like a workout, hiking uh, or anything else uh, so that you would experience this uh, physical exertion a little bit. And that can be like, you can, that can do like a, a lot of uh, wonders, like even like going for a walk after a big meal, that's going to cut the blood sugar response from that meal nearly in half, even like a 10 minute walk. So just, you know, walking a little bit, <laughs> that can be just an amazing, uh, easy thing to do. And the second thing would be to also like maybe skip the snacks. Uh, so if you do eat, you know, uh, whether that be three meals a day, uh, two meals a day, one meal a day, at least don't snack in between them because, in, you know, that not only like increases the spontaneous calorie consumption, but also just, you know, spikes your, spikes your blood sugar. Um, but most, most important, like psychologically, it makes you like very dependent of these uh, snacks, so to say, so that you're, you know, teaching yourself the habit that you, you know, eating all the time. Whereas, you know, I would much rather, you know, make it this uh, rule that, uh, you know, if you do eat, then, you know, just sit down and enjoy the meal, have like a nice meal. And chances are that you're more, like fuller for longer. So you'll experience less mm -hmm. hunger from that as well. So you're, you just don't want to snack either. Like the snacking, uh, more often than not, it's just like a um, distraction. So uh, you get bored, you want to distract yourself with something and kind of escape a form of escapism. Um, so yeah, like I have to actually kind of dig deep into like knowing um, why are you doing it and uh, what's the actual uh, reason. And lastly, uh, maybe uh, I would say, uh, maybe like try to try to like sleep in this more like a very dark setting. So like, uh, like we, would always like in nature we would sleep in complete darkness um but in the like modern world we have like all these lights and uh, street lights um car lights screen like screens those things are pretty harmful to uh the sleep hygiene and uh, sleep quality so um yeah this artificial artificial uh, light at night uh, which um has been associated with you know things things like diabetes obesity heart disease, cancer, <laughs> neurodegeneration, um, because it uh, suppresses this melatonin. And melatonin is like this uh, body's um, super powerful sleep hormone, but also like an antioxidant that uh, clears the brain from all the toxins, uh, repairs the broad body, heals it. So uh, yeah, like missing out on melatonin all the time because of this artificial light is uh, at least like a, in decades, it's going to have like a pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty bad uh, effect on your health. Mm. Yeah, those are those are amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that, you know, people, you know, let's say someone gets to a place in their health where they're just feeling totally overwhelmed. There's, you know, there's maybe heart early onset or heart disease or there's blood sugar dysregulation. And I mean, we're just so taught to just there's got to be a pill for that. And and we're looking for and I, I sort of relate that in my mind to we're looking for a sprint. We're trying to get to the finish line as quickly as possible. Like, how do we manage this symptom? You know, how do we manage the cholesterol? And we keep forgetting that we're, this is, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon We're we're really like, we're optimizing as we go. We're course correcting as we go. We're always making these subtle little changes that are going to, that we're going to test in our lives to see what kind of impact it's going to have. And I, you know, and I think that, you know, 
we wouldn't find ourselves so, you know, awestruck when we, and we get some blood markers back from our doctor that go, Hey, like, this is not good. And you're going to need to go on a med. And I think more and more people are hopefully realizing that they have more control over their physiology. If they started to, you know, implement the right hormetic responses in the body, encourage adaptability, you know, change the mindset around things. Uh, I mean, these are such important conversations. Um, and all of this obviously is going to be related to, you know, a lot of the illnesses that you brought up as a result of not doing these basic things, which, you know, funny enough, are, are the biggest risk factors for people really struggling with, you know, the next seasonal flu or, you know, bacterial infections or arthritis or whatever it is. It's just always going to be worse when we're not taking care of those basic things. So in your, in your research for your immunity fix book, is there, is there other things that you would add to that list that, that, um, or is there, what, what are some of the biggest insights maybe that you found? Uh, we don't want to give everything away. We want people to read the book, of course, but what are some of those things that you found were important on that side of things as well? Hmm. Um, well, uh, I think like the, uh, the, the basics are the most important thing uh, for this uh, adaptive immune system, like a uh, good diet, um, regular exercise, the high sauna, sauna use uh, is good for the immune system. Um, magnesium is a, like a very vital part of all the uh, immune function, uh, but maybe I don't know. Like maybe I think the um, it's underappreciated how how negative of effects like this metabolic syndrome and diabetes has mm -hmm. on the immune system. So uh, yeah, like we we know that uh, people who have this comorbidity suffer more from uh, the, the these different kinds of viruses. And uh, yeah, like it's just that the body, you know, gets depleted from the minerals by having to deal with the uh, particular disease and uh, the immune system itself uh, takes a big uh, toll uh, from that. So yeah, I think that avoiding these uh, comorbidities is also like, yeah, one of the most important thing uh, for, uh, yeah, keeping your immune system uh, strong. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So before we ask our last question, um, where can our listeners find you? Uh, yeah, my, well, my uh, website is uh, seamland.com and uh, I'm seamland on all the uh, social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah, you, you've got, I mean, just, just for those listening, you've got such great content on your, on your Instagram, but also your website, the courses that you offer, the books. I mean, you're, you're absolutely on a mission to help, you know, wake up the world to their health freedom and their individuality and, and, you know, to be a more resilient human. I mean, it's such important information. So we're just, you know, really want to, commend you on what you're doing and i know sonny's got a question for you yeah so my last question is um in all that you are doing and if you knew that tomorrow was your last day on earth what is the impact that you want to leave behind or what's the message that you have for humanity <laughs> well that's a, a tough question <laughs> <laughs> i know it's a big question um well uh well i would say that uh I would maybe like adopt this is like the stoic uh, quote or the stoic idea of uh, memento mori, which is, you know, remembrance of death. So like you have to remember that, you know, you're going to die someday uh, so that you wouldn't take like your everyday life for granted and you wouldn't uh, you know, waste it away uh, on uh, like meaningless things. So like, yeah, make it's not that life is short. It's just that like people uh, waste it on something uh, useless. <laughs> That's it's awesome. Beautiful answer. Yeah, I love that. What was that again? Memento Mori? Me Memento Mori. Yeah. Memento Mori. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. 
Sim, you're you're just a genius of a man, a beautiful human being. You're 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 changing the world, and we're just you know so grateful you took time out today. I, I've been meaning to ask, like, what time is it there, by the way? Uh, it's uh, 8 p.m. Oh, you're good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for sharing time with us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah. No problem. It's my pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe. 